Hello everyone, I'm Richard Conway from Dublin, Ireland, reporting from Euler 2021 for Room Now. Um, and I'm here to talk to you today about um, a poster that was presented um, in Wednesday's poster session. It was poster 0595 um, and it was by uh, Dr. Atienza Matteo and colleagues. This poster was titled Abatacept in Usual and Nonspecific Interstitial Pneumonia Associated to Rheumatoid Arthritis National Multicenter multi Study of 190 Patients. So I've talked about um, uh, the earlier version of the study for Room Now before um, from ACR 2020. Um, and in that um, study, uh, these same authors showed in their multicenter study that abatacept seems to be an effective treatment for uh, rheumatoid arthritis interstitial lung disease, which was a, a big advance in, in giving us another treatment option in uh, manifestation of rheumatoid arthritis where um, there really is a paucity of uh, options that have been proven uh, to be effective. Uh, for treatment. So in this current study, there was 190 patients who had rheumatoid arthritis-related um, interstitial lung disease. It's a multi-center observational study uh, conducted in Spain. And all of these patients uh, received a abatacept uh, for the treatment uh, of interstitial uh, lung disease um, in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so what uh, the authors did in this particular um, study is that they compared the patients who had um, the usual interstitial pneumonia appearance of their interstitial lung disease to the non-specific interstitial uh, pneumonia appearance of their interstitial lung disease. And this is important. So our con conception of this from outside of rheumatology um, from the respiratory literature is the patients who have a UIP phenotype, which tends to be idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, have a very poor prognosis, generally inexorably progressive once it develops and don't respond well to treatment. Whereas patients who have NSIP tend uh, to respond better to treatments in general. Um, so bringing this over then to the, the rheumatology space, um, there would translating from the respiratory literature, there would be uh, an understanding or a hypothesis that patients who have rheumatoid arthritis-related interstitial lung disease with a UIP phenotype are more in a fibrotic scarring process and don't have much inflammatory activity going on, may not be likely to respond to immunosuppressive therapy, whereas patients who have an NSIP phenotype may be better candidates uh, for immunosuppressive therapy. Um, and that overall, we may think that we are more likely to be able to halt disease progression in those who have NSIP, that it's a better phenotype to have. So the results of this study um, within that framework are very interesting. So the authors essentially found no difference. It didn't matter whether patients had a UIP phenotype or an NSIP phenotype they responded equally well to abatacept. And in general, they responded well. Um, over the course of this study, the lung function declines as measured by PFTs essentially stopped. Patients stabilized both their DLCO um, and their FVC um, with abatacept. So, I mean, this is still early days. Um, this is an observational study. We really need a randomized controlled trial in this space uh, to look at abatacept and better establish um, its um, effect. But this is this is really encouraging uh, stuff. 
Um, so uh, uh, remember to follow me on Twitter at Richard P.A. Conway and to tune in to Room Now for more updates from ULR 2021. Hi everyone, this is Aurélie Najm from the University of Glasgow, UK, reporting for REM now at ULA 2021. As you might know, synovial tissue research has been able over the past years to unravel specific histological and transcriptomic synovial tissue signatures. And these have been associated with different disease phenotypes and prognosis. The signatures are called pathotypes and can orientate the clinicians toward better patient stratification. However, despite all these recent advances in synovial biology, the analysis of the tissue is not yet used as a clinical biomarker for personalized therapy. Well, we are now a step closer to the use of synovial tissue as a tool for personalized therapy in naive RA. The oral presentation 0011 presented by Felice Rivelis have analyzed 70 patients' tissue sample from a famous cohort, um, the pathology of early arthritis cohort, um, that has looked into immunohistochemistry of the tissue, but in parallel, they have also looked into an additional peripheral blood sample via flow cytometry and did combine RNA sequencing. All these fancy methods, very interestingly, showed that patients that had active array had higher um, inflammatory markers and high ultrasound synovitis grade, which is not uh, very surprising. But what's interesting is that they were most likely having B lymphopenia, so less B cells in the blood while they were um, going to infiltrate the tissue. And as the opposite, the T helper cells presence um, in the peripheral blood was positively correlated with inflammatory marker and with um, synovitis detected by ultrasound. Overall, what this means is that you see an, an alternative way of having lower B cell count in the blood and higher T cell count in the blood while in the tissue they could show an infiltration of lymphoid and myeloid cells more frequently in uh, patients that have this peripheral blood phenotype. This T helper cell signatures that was identified in both blood and tissue was actually predictive of future biologic DMR use in this population. This is a very nice example of study that instead of looking in the blood or in the tissue has combined simultaneously both of these approaches. In the, and this is actually paving the way for further combined analysis that could help to depict peripheral and or synovial signatures that could be used as clinical biomarkers for prediction medicine in clinical practice. So this is very promising and exciting. And stay tuned for more fascinating biology at ULA 2021 on, and head to remnow.com and follow Aurelie Romo on Twitter. Thank you.
Hello, this is Jonathan Kay from the University of Massachusetts Medical School reporting for Room Now at ULAR 2021. I was supposed to be in Paris, but instead I'm jet lagged at home, having awakened at four o'clock in the morning to begin listening to presentations from today's ULAR virtually on my computer. When a patient with rheumatoid arthritis responds inadequately to methotrexate, should we add a TNF inhibitor? a non-TNF inhibitor biologic agent, or a JAK inhibitor. Several randomized controlled clinical trials have compared the effectiveness of JAK inhibitors to adalimumab, each in combination with methotrexate. In two such trials, a JAK inhibitor was found to be superior to adalimumab. In the AMPL trial, abatacept and adalimumab, each in combination with methotrexate, were equivalent in all outcome measures assessed. But what happens in clinical practice? Two analyses of large clinical registries were presented today at ULAR 2021. In abstract OP0122, Barbalescu et al. compared the response to treatment with JAK inhibitors to that with TNF inhibitors, abatacept and IL-6 receptor inhibitors, in over 6,300 rheumatoid arthritis patients in the Swedish Rheumatology Quality Register. They found similar retention on treatment at 12 months for all medications. JAK inhibitors showed comparable clinical responses to biologic DMARDs. There were no statistically significant differences in effectiveness between JAK inhibitors and biologic DMARDs. How do TNF inhibitors compare to non-TNF inhibitor biologic agents in clinical practice? In abstract OP0117, Jan Fantresco et al. studied over 16,000 rheumatoid arthritis patients from the American College of Rheumatology's RISE registry who had not previously been treated with a biologic or targeted synthetic DMARD. They found that after 12 months of treatment, disease activity was higher for patients of Black and Asian race, non-Hispanic ethnicity, and female sex who had been treated with a TNF inhibitor as compared to those who had been treated with a non-TNF inhibitor biologic. In contrast, disease activity was lower in those patients of Hispanic or Latinx ethnicity who had been treated with a TNF inhibitor than in those who had been treated with a non-TNF inhibitor biologic. These observations from analyses of large registries are interesting, but need prospective confirmation in pragmatic clinical trials. Much other interesting information has been presented today. For more ULAR 2021 coverage, head to roomnow.com. I'm Jonathan Kay. Hello, I'm Dr. Rachel Tate from West Palm Beach, Florida, reporting for RoomNow.com at ULAR 2021. Gender and racial disparities are coming to a forefront in medicine, and we're seeing these from both a micro and a macro level societally. Today, I'm going to highlight one poster for you. That's poster number 1078. The purpose of this particular poster was to highlight psoriatic arthritis registries and cohorts as they reflect on a worldwide prevalence of the disease. So Dr. Moisidu et al. conducted a systematic literature review via PubMed, which identified psoriatic arthritis longitudinal cohorts and registries that existed between 2010 and March 2020. They excluded any drug-related trials and any long-term extension trials. So they found 73 relevant studies, which corresponded to 27 PSA registries in 30 different countries. This was a population of over 16,000 patients. 
50% of whom were male. 67% of these registries were European and 26% of these registries were North American. Researchers found that the entire continent of Africa was not represented. So this is an important study and it serves kind of as a reality check. In rheumatology, we discuss psoriatic arthritis from a disease state with multiple domains to treatment options. But if we exclude certain populations from our clinical data, this will limit our knowledge and therefore result in a deficiency for our patients. This is a multi-tiered issue, but I'm hopeful that by highlighting one small poster from one international conference in rheumatology and its importance, its global importance, that we can make changes for the future. So thank you for your time today. And as always, for more ULAR 2021 updates, follow me at UpToTate on Twitter and continue to tune in to RoomNow.com. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with RoomNow.com. We're going to talk about how to take in ULAR 2021, a virtual meeting currently in progress. Looks good so far. I encourage you to partake in this content. It's pretty rich. How can you do it? Well, if you're not registered, that is basically going to be part B of my talk. Part A is if you're registered, certainly you should uh, sign in every day. Um, go to the schedule. It, it has uh, the ULAR symposium or the ULAR um, program is one main choice and posters is another main choice. Under both those sessions, you can uh, outline, either review the day or the next day's activities and develop a schedule, or you can um, actually add that schedule, um, selected items that you choose into your schedule so you'll have a schedule set up for viewing the following day. Um, I would strongly recommend that if you're going to view the content at ULAR.org under their Congress uh, heading, uh, you should look at the plenary sessions. Those are usually very rich. Um, I also like the late-breaking sessions. And then there are a lot of other sessions really up to your individual tastes as to whether you want to do gout or T-cell, B-cells or uh, racial disparities. They really have quite a variety at this meeting. Uh, for those of you who are not registered, you can certainly follow the proceedings on Twitter. It's so far it's been really quite busy on Twitter with the coverage of the meeting. Uh, it's a little harder, I think, to do that. That's why uh, Room Now has been covering uh, meetings like ULAR for some time. Uh, you can do it several ways to Room Now. One, daily, you can look at the email that we're going to send you, and those will be coming forward in the morning every day, um, starting today for day one, tomorrow for day two, uh, meaning that that's Thursday and Friday. And then the last two days of the meeting, which will occur on the weekend, will be viewed next week on Monday and Tuesday, days three and four. So you can watch it just on the daily news and get a slice of what's happening and little snippets of what's happening. You can go to the website, roomnow.com, and you'll see a much larger offering um, a center scroll of news articles, videos, podcasts, tweets, things as they're happening real time um, being thrown at you. Uh, you can 
there's several other things you can do on the website. You can look at the very top of the website. We have what we call specialized perspective videos by leaders in the field who are giving you their commentaries on several key areas of rheumatology, RA, lupus, PSA, spa, etc. Um, and then we also have uh, some new features. Uh, we at ACR we had ACR IQ. Now we have ULAR IQ, where you can basically uh, answer a few questions about what's going on at the meeting. And in answering, I think you'll actually learn what actually happened at the meeting, even if you weren't there. So look for that. That's called ULAR IQ. It's in the right hand panel of our website. You can not only just scroll and look at the web, but you can um, look at our videos, of which we have many, um, or our podcasts. So if you listen to us on podcasts, look at your podcast channel. You'll be seeing day one, day two, day three, several podcasts, actually many podcasts, that'll be compilations of videos turned into audio format. So if you're more specialized, don't want to spend time tooling around and you know, searching for interesting things, and you really have to devote it, your time to a few things, um, you can sign up for topic emails on the Room Now website. That'll get you a topic email at the end of this week and the end of next week that'll all be about ULR content on your topic. That includes lupus, rheumatoid, jack inhibitors, etc. Okay, so sign up for a topic email. You can go to the website and just search for your topic. That's pretty cool. You can find your favorite topic, whether it be gout or rheumatoid arthritis. You'll go to that page, and there'll be a long scroll of all the RA content on that RA page. Now, the other thing you can do is actually uh, click on a top icon that says PDQ View. You know what PDQ means. It's a much shorter, quicker version of getting to the truth. So you click on that filter, and now you'll see just what we think are the main highlight things that you might want to learn if you just have a limited amount of time and you want to see what's happening at ULAR. Again, a lot of content. I'm impressed by what our faculty's done thus far. Our faculty, quite stellar. Um, uh, let me name a few. Uh, uh, John Kay uh, is doing RA perspectives and leadership there. Uh, Janet Pope is uh, doing uh, jack inhibitors and tick inhibitors. Uh, our usual faculty who are just stellar, Dr. Catherine Dow from UT Southwestern, um, David Liu from Down Under, watch David's content on Twitter, it's great. Richard Conway from Ireland, I love his videos. Eric Dine uh, from Baltimore, uh, Rachel Tate from Florida, Robert Chow from Virginia. Uh, we have some new international faculty who are just fabulous. Uh, Orly Nime um, from uh, Leeds, no, Orly is not from Leeds, but sorry, Orly. Um, I'm blanking on where she's from, but I'll know next time. Uh, Paul Studenik from Austria, now working at the Karolinska. And Yuzifel from Leeds. Um, again, their content looks really, really good. Uh, hope you're going to enjoy uh, ULAR. I'm certainly enjoying it. Look at our many videos on roomnow.com.
Hi, it's Dr. Janet Pope at hashtag ULAR2021 in beautiful Paris, France, or in the comfort of your living room, more likely. I'm going to talk about what if a patient with lupus, a woman, is doing well and wants to get pregnant. And I'm going to try to answer that by looking at some of the abstracts at this ULAR meeting. And I'm reporting for At Room now, and I, join, I invite you to join our other sessions as well. So I'll say I have a woman with SLE under good control. She's 30 years old. She's been in almost remission with her lupus and she's on belimumab. So the first question is, what do we do with the belimumab? Because we can't use it in pregnancy. It's contraindicated. So to answer that, poster 0107 looked at tapering belimumab in a single site study of patients with lupus who were doing well. And the patients who tapered compared to those who received standard of care not tapering were very similar, except for it looked like, in my opinion, patients on background hydroxychloroquine might have been more apt to taper. They found that 44% of patients over two years could taper their treatment. So I would say to my patient, if you're on belimumab, stay on your background hydroxychloroquine, let's taper belimumab and see if you flare. Then as she uh, contemplates further getting pregnancy, we want her to stay in a low disease state or remission. And the next question is, what do I follow during pregnancy? I leave her on hydroxychloroquine. I would probably add baby aspirin when she conceived. And poster 0103 actually tells me that complements can increase regularly in healthy people in the first trimester of pregnancy. And in fact, C3 should increase by about 28% and C4 by 11%. So when my patient gets pregnant, I will do her double-stranded DNA, row and law to look for whether I need to screen for fetal heart block. I will also know her antiphospholipid antibody status, and I will do her complements early on, urinalysis, CBC, and creatinine. I will know that her complements should be a little bit elevated in the first trimester. Why is that important? Because if complements go down, particularly C3, that is related to poor fetal outcome. So I can answer two questions for my patient having gone to the ULAR 2021. Please follow us at room now. Thank you.